Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we'll read chapters 9 and 10. Now in the previous episode, we read chapters 7 and 8 and Nico made Percy implement the first part of the plan and they had to go to the underworld. But Nico last minute tricked Percy and actually made a deal with his father to bring Percy to the underworld because Hades wanted to discuss something with Percy. But Percy was able to escape and go into the river Styx and become immortal. And so, yeah, that's... And he t- he got really frustrated with Nico for doing what he did. And asked Nico to stay behind and ask Hades to help with the war. So now we will see if Percy found Luke. As he said, he wa- he his goal is to now find Luke. So now we will read chapter 9, Two Snakes Saved My Life. I love New York. You can pop out of the underworld in Central Park, hail a taxi, head down 5th Avenue with a giant hellhound loping along behind you, and nobody even looks at you funny. Of course, the mist helped, but people probably couldn't see Mrs. O'Leary, or maybe they thought she was a large, loud, very friendly truck. I took the risk of using my mom's cell phone to call Annabeth for the second time. I'd called her once from the tunnel, but only reached her voicemail. I got in surprisingly good reception, seeing I was at the mythological center of the world and all, but I didn't want to see what my mom's roaming charges were going to be. This time, Annabeth picked up. Hey, I said, you get my message? Percy, where you been? Your message said almost nothing. We've been worried sick. I'll fill you in later, I said. Though I, how I was going to do that, I had no idea. Where are you? We're on our way, like you asked. Almost to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. But Percy, what are you planning? We've left the camp virtually undefended, and there's no way the gods... Trust me, I said. I'll see you there. I hung up. My hands were trembling. I wasn't sure if it was from a, it was a leftover reaction from my dip in the sticks or anticipation of what I was about to do. If this didn't work, being invulnerable wasn't going to save me from getting blasted to, blasted to bits. It was late afternoon when the taxi dropped me off and dropped me at the Empire State Building. Mrs. O'Leary bounded up and down Fifth Avenue, licking cabs and sniffing hot dog carts. Nobody seemed to notice her, although people did swerve away and look confused when she came close. I whistled her for to heal as three white vans pulled up to the curve. They said Delphi Strawberry Service, which was the cover name for Camp Half-Blood. I'd never seen all three vans in the same place at once, though I knew they shuttled our fresh produce into the city. The first van was driven by Argus, our many-eyed security chief. The other two were driven by Harpies, who are basically Dominic-human-chicken hybrids with bad attitudes. We used the Harpies mostly for cleaning the camp, but they did pretty well in mid-down, midtown traffic, too. The door slid open. A bunch of campers climbed out some of them looking a little green from the long drive. I was glad so many had come. Pollux, Selena Beauregard, the Stoll brothers, Michael Yu, Jake Mason, uh, Katie Gardner, and Annabeth, along with most of their siblings. Chiron came out of the van last. His horse half was compacted into his magic wheelchair, so he used the handicap lift. The Ares cabin wasn't here, but I tried not to get too angry about that. Clarice was a stubborn idiot. End of story. I did a head count, 40 campers in all. 
Not many to fight a war, but it was still the largest group of half-bloods I'd ever seen gathered in one place outside camp. Everyone looked nervous, and I understood why. We were probably sending out so much demigod aura that every monster in the northeastern United States knew we were here. As I looked at their faces, all these campers I'd known for so many summers, a nagging voice whispered in my mind, one of them is a spy. But I couldn't dwell on that. They were my friends. I needed them. Then I remembered Cronus's evil smile. You can't count on friends. They'll always let you down. Annabeth came up to me. She was dressed in black camouflage with her celestial bronze knife strapped to her arm and her laptop, laptop bag slung over her shoulder, ready for, ready for stabbing or surfing the internet, whichever came first. She frowned. What is it? What's what? I asked. You're looking at me funny. I realized I was thinking about my strange vision of Annabeth pulling me out of the Styx River. It's uh, nothing. I turned to the rest of the group. Thanks for coming, everybody. Chiron, after you. My old mentor shook his head. I came to wish you luck, my boy, but I make it a point never to visit Olympus unless I am summoned. But you're our leader. He smiled. I am your trainer, your teacher. That is not the same as being your leader. I'll go gather ally, what allies I can. I'm, it may not be too late to convince my brother, Cassentors, to help. Meanwhile, you call the campers here, Percy. You are the leader. I wanted to protest, but everybody was looking at me expectantly, even Annabeth. I took a deep breath. <sighs> okay, like I told Annabeth on the phone, something bad is going to happen by tonight. Some kind of trap. We've got to get an audience with Zeus and convince him to defend the city. Remember, we can't take no for an answer. I asked Argus to watch Mrs. O'Leary, which neither of them looked happy about. Chiron shook my hand. You'll do well, Percy. Just remember your strengths and beware your weaknesses. It sounded eerily close to what Achilles had told me. Achilles. Then I remembered Chiron had taught Achilles. That didn't exactly reassure me, but I nodded and tried to give him a confident smile. Let's go, I told the campers. A security guard was sitting behind the desk in the lobby, reading a big black book with a flower on the cover. He glanced up when we all filed with our weapons and armor clanking. School group? We're about to close up. No, I said. 600th floor. He checked us out. His eyes were pale blue and his head was completely bald. I couldn't tell if he was human or not, but he seemed to notice our weapons, so I guess he was a fool by the mist. There is no 600th floor, kid. He said it like it was a required line he didn't believe. Move along. I leaned across the desk. Forty demigods attract an awful lot of monsters. You really want us hanging out in your lobby? He thought about that. Then he hit a buzzer and the security gate swung open. Make it quick. You don't want us going through the metal detectors, I added. Um, no, he agreed. Elevator on the right, I guess you know the way. I tossed him a golden drachma and then we marched to, marched through. We decided it would take two trips to get everybody up in the elevator. I went with the first group. Different elevator music was playing since my last visit. That old disco song, Sedan Alive. A terrifying image flashed through my mind of Apollo in bell-bottom pants and a slinky silk shirt. I was glad when the elevator doors finally dinged open. In front of us, a path of floating dust stones led through the clouds up to Mount Olympus, hovering 6,000 feet up over Manhattan. I've seen Olympus several times, but it took my breath away. 
The mansions glittered gold and white against the sides of the mountain. Gardens bloomed on a hundred terraces. Scented smokes rose from braziers that lined the winding streets. And right at the top of the snow-capped crest rose the main palace of the gods. It looked as majestic as ever, but something seemed wrong. And I realized the mountain was silent. No music, no voices, no laughter. Ambit studied me. You look different, she decided. Where exactly did you go? The elevator doors opened again, and the second group of half-bloods joined us. Tell you later, I said. Come on. We made our way across the sky bridge into the streets of Olympus. The shops were closed. The parks were empty. A couple of muses sat on a bench strumming flaming lyres, but their hearts didn't seem to be in it. A lone cyclops swept the street with an uprooted oak tree. A minor godling spotted us from a balcony and ducked inside, closing his shutters. We passed under a big marble archway with statues of Zeus and Hera on either side. Ambit made a face at the Queen of Gods. Hater, she muttered. Has she been cursing you or something? I asked. Last year, Annabeth had gotten on Hera's bad side, but Annabeth hadn't really talked about it since. Just little stuff so far, she said. Her sacred animal is the cow, right? Right. So she sends cows after me. I try not to smile. Cows in San Francisco? Oh, yeah, usually I don't see them, but the cows leave me little presents all over the place. In our backyard, on the sidewalk, in the school hallways. I have to be careful where I step. Look! Pollux cried, pointing toward the horizon. What is that? We all froze. Blue lights were streaking across the evening sky toward Olympus like tiny comets. They seemed to be coming from all over the city, heading straight toward the mountain. As they got close, they fizzled out. We didn't watch we watched them for several minutes and they didn't seem to do any damage but still it was strange like infrared scopes Michael you muttered we're being targeted let's get to the palace i said no one was guarding the hall of the gods the gold and silver doors stood wide open our footsteps echoed as we walked into the throne room of course room doesn't really cover it the place was the size of madison square garden High above, the blue ceiling glittered with constellations. Twelve giant empty thrones stood in a U around a hearth. In one corner, a house-sized globe of water hovered in the air, and inside swam my old friend, the Ophiotaurus, half cow, half serpent. He said happily, turning in a circle. Despite all the serious stuff going on, I had to smile. Two years ago, we spent a lot of time trying to save the Ophiotaurus from the Titans, and I gotten kind of fond of him. He seemed to like me too, even though I'd ori- I originally thought he was a girl and named him Bessie. Hey man, I said, they treating you okay? <coughs> Bessie agreed. We walked toward the thrones, and a woman's voice said, Hello again, Percy Jackson. You and your friends are welcome. Hestia stood by the hearth, poking the flames with a stick. She wore the same kind of simple brown dress as she had done before. She was a grown woman now. I bowed, Lady Hestia. My friends followed my example. Hestia regarded me with red, glowing eyes. I see you went through with your plan. You bear the curse of Achilles. The other campers started muttering among themselves. What did she say? What about Achilles? You must be careful, Hestia warned me. 
You gained much on your journey, but you are still blind to the most important truth. Perhaps a glimpse is in order. Annabeth nudged me. Um, what is she talking about? I stared into Hestia's eyes, and an image rushed into my mind. I saw a dark alley between red brick warehouses. A sign above one of the doors read Richmond Ironworks. Two half-bloods crouched in the shadows, a boy about 14 and a girl about 12. I realized with a start that the boy was Luke. The girl was Thalia, Talia, daughter of Zeus. I was seeing a scene from back in the days when they were on the run, before Grover found them. Luke carried a bronze knife. Talia had her spear and a shield of terror. Aegis. Luke and Talia both looked hungry and lean, with wild animal eyes like they were used to being, being attacked. Are you sure? Talia asked. Luke nodded. Something down here, I sense it. A rumble echoed from the alley, like someone had banged on a, on a sheet of metal. The half-bloods crept forward. Old crates were stacked on a loading dock. Talia and Luke approached with their weapons ready. A curtain of corrugated tin quivered as if something were behind it. Talia, glan Talia glanced at Luke. He counted silently. One, two, three! He ripped away the tin, and a tiny little girl flew at him with a hammer. Whoa! Luke said. The girl had tangled blonde hair and was wearing flannel pajam pajamas. She couldn't have been more than seven, but she would have brained Luke if he hadn't been so fast. He grabbed her wrist, and the hammer skittered across the cement. The little girl fought and kicked. No more monsters! Go away! It's okay! Luke struggled to hold her. Talia, put your shield up. You're scaring her. Talia tapped Aegis, and it shrank into a silver bracelet. Hey, it's all right, she said. We're not going to hurt you. I'm Talia. This is Luke. Monsters! No, Luke promised. But we know all about monsters. We fight them too. Slowly, the girl stopped kicking. She studied Luke and Talia with large, intelligent, gray eyes. You're, you're like me? She said suspiciously. Yeah, Luke said. We're, well, it's hard to explain. But we're monster fighters. Where's your family? My family hates me, the girl said. They don't want me. I ran away. Talia and Luke locked eyes. I knew they both related to what she was saying. What's your name, kiddo? Talia asked. Annabeth? Luke smiled. Nice name, I tell you what, Annabeth. You're pretty fierce. We could use a fighter like you. Annabeth's eyes widened. You could? Oh, yeah. Luke turned his knife and offered her the handle. How'd you like a real monster-slaying weapon? This is celestial bronze. Works a lot better than a human hammer. Than a hammer. Maybe under most circumstances, offering a seven-year-old a knife would not be a good idea. But when you're half-blood, regular rules kind of go out the window. Annabeth grabbed with the hilt. Knives are only the brave for the bravest and quickest fighters, Luke explained. They don't have the reach or power of a sword, but they're easy to conceal, and they can find weak spots in your enemy's armor. It takes a clever warrior to use a knife. I have a feeling you're pretty clever. Annabeth stared at him with adoration. I am! Talia, Talia grinned. We'd better get going, Annabeth. We have a safe house on the James River. We'll get you some clothes and food. You're, you're not going to take me back to my family? She said, promise?
Luke put his hand on her shoulder. You're part of our family now, and I promise I won't let anything hurt you. I'm not going to fail you like our families did us. Deal? Deal! Ambed said happily. Now come on, Talia said. Talia said. We can't stay put for long. The scene shifted. The three demigods were running through the woods. It must have been several days later, maybe even weeks. All of them looked beat up, like they'd seen some battles. Ambeth was wearing new clothes, jeans, and an oversized army jacket. Just a little farther, Luke promised. Ambeth stumbled, and he took her hand. Talia brought up the rear, brandishing her shield like she was driving back whatever pursued them. She was limping on her left leg. They scrambled to a ridge and looked down the other side at a white colonial house. May Castellan's place. All right, Luke said, breathing hard. I'll just sneak in and grab some food and medicine. Wait here. Luke, are you sure? Talia asked. You swore you'd never come back here. If she catches you, we don't have a choice, he growled. They burned our near safe house, and you've got to treat that leg wound. This is your house? Ambed said with amazement. It was my house, Luke muttered. Believe me, if it was an emergency. Is your mom really horrible? Ambed asked. Can we see her? No, Luke snapped. Ambed shrunk away from him like his anger surprised her. I'm sorry, he said. Just wait here. I I promise everything will be okay. Nothing's going to hurt you. I'll be back. A brilliant golden flash illuminated the woods. The demigods winced and a man's voice boomed. You should not have come home. The vision shut off. My knees buckled, but Annabeth grabbed me. Percy, what happened? Did you you see that? I asked. See what? I glanced at Hestia, but the goddess's face was expressionless. I remember something she told me in the woods. If you are to understand your enemy, Luke, you must understand his family. Why had she shown me those scenes? How long was I out? I muttered. Abbott knit her eyebrows. Percy, you weren't out at all. You just looked at Hestia for like one second and collapsed. I could feel everyone's eyes on me. I couldn't afford to look weak. Whatever those visions meant, I had to stay focused on our mission. Um, Lady Hestia, I said. We've come on urgent business. We need to see. We know what you need. A man's voice said. I shuddered because it was the same voice I heard in the vision. A god shimmered into existence next to Hestia. He looked about 25 with curly salt and pepper hair and elfish features. He wore a military pilot's flight suit with tiny birds fluttering on his uh, helmet and his black leather boots. In the crook of his arm was a long staff entwined with two living serpents. I will leave you now, as Hestia said. She bowed to the aviator and disappeared into smoke. I understood why she was so anxious to go. Hermes, the god of messengers, did not look happy. Hello, Percy. His brow, his brow, his bro, I, bro, brow, furrowed as though he was annoyed with me. And I wondered if he somehow knew about the vision I just had. I wanted to ask why he'd been at Mae Costellan's house that night, and what had happened after he caught Luke. I remember the first time I'd met Luke at Camp Half-Blood. I asked him if he'd ever met his father, and he looked at me bitterly and said once. But I could tell from Hermes' expression that this was not the time to ask. I bowed awkwardly. 
Lord Hermes. Oh, sure, one of the snakes said in my mind. Don't say hi to us. We're just reptiles. George, the other snake scolded. Be polite. Hello, George, I said. Hey, Martha. Did you bring us a rat? George asked. George, stop it, Martha said. He's busy. Too busy for rats, George said. That's just sad. I decided it was better not to get into it with George. With George. Um, Hermes, I said, we need to talk to Zeus. It's important. Hermes' eyes were steely cold. I'm his messenger. May I take a message? Behind me, the other demigod shifted restlessly. This wasn't going as planned. Maybe if I try to speak with Hermes in private. You guys, I said, why don't you do a sweep of the city? Check the defenses. See who's left in Olympus. Meet Annabeth and me back in 30 minutes. Selena frowned. But that's a good idea, Annabeth said. Connor and Travis, you, you two lead. The stoles seemed to like that, getting handed an important responsibility right in front of their dad. They usually never laid anything except toilet paper raids. We're on it, Travis said. They herded the others out of the throne room, leaving Annabeth and me with Hermes. My lord, Annabeth said, Cronus is going to attack New York. You must suspect that. My mother must have foreseen it. Your mother, Hermes grumbled. He scratched his back with his caduceus, and George and Martha muttered, Ow, 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 ow. Don't get me started on your mother, young lady. She's the reason I'm here at all. Zeus didn't want us, any of us to leave the front line, but your mother kept pestering him nonstop. It's a trap, it's a diversion, blah, blah, blah. She wanted to come back herself, but Zeus was not going to let this, his number one strategist leave his side while we're battling Typhon. So naturally, he sent me to talk to you. But it is a trap, Ambit insisted. Is Zeus blind? Thunder rolled through the sky. I'd watch the comments, girl, Hermes warned. Zeus is not blind or deaf. He has not left Olympus completely undefended. But there are these blue lights. Yes, yes, I saw them. Some mischief by that insufferable goddess of magic, Hecate. I'd wager. But you may have noticed they aren't doing any damage. Olympus has strong magical wards. Besides, Aeolus, the king of the winds, has sent his most powerful minions to guard the citadel. No one save the gods can no one save the gods can approach Olympus from the air. They would be knocked out of the sky. I raised my hand. Um what about that materializing teleporting thing you guys do? That's a form of air travel too, Ajaxon. Very fast, but the wind gods are faster. No. If Kronos wants to Olympus, he'll have to march through the entire city with his army and take the elevators. Can you see him doing this? Hermes made it sound pretty ridiculous. Hordes of monsters going up the elevator 20 at a time, listening to staying alive. Still, I didn't like it. Maybe just a few of you could come back, I suggested. Hermes shook his head impatiently. Percy Jackson, you don't understand. Typhon is our greatest enemy. I thought that was Kronos. The god's eyes glowed. No, Percy. In the old days, Olympus was almost overthrown by Typhon. He is husband of Echidna. Met her at the arch, I muttered. Not nice. And the father of all monsters. We can never forget how close he came to destroying us all. How he humiliated us. We were more powerful back in the old days. Now we can expect no help from Poseidon because he's fighting his own war. Hades sits in his realm and does nothing. And Demeter and Persephone follow his lead. We'll take all our remaining power to oppose the storm giant. 
We can't divide our forces, nor wait until he gets to New York. We'll have to battle him now, and we're making progress. Progress? I said, he nearly destroyed St. Louis. Yes, Hermes admitted, but he destroyed only half of Kentucky. Kentucky. He's slowing down, losing power. I didn't want to argue, but it sounded like Hermes was trying to convince himself. In the corner, the Ophiotaurus mooed sadly. Please, Hermes, Ambit said. You said my mother wanted to come. Did she give you any messages for us? Messages, he muttered. It'll be a great job, they told me. Not much work. Lots of worshippers. Nobody cares what I have to say. It's always about the other people's messages. Rodents, George mused. I'm in it for the rodents. Shh, Martha scolded. We care what Hermes has to say, don't we, George? Oh, absolutely. Can we go back to the can we go back to the battle now? I want to do laser mode again. That's fun. Quiet, both of both of you. Hermes grumbled. The god looked at Annabeth, who was doing her big pleading uh, gray eyes thing. Bah Hermes said. Your mother said to warn you that you are on your own. You must hold Manhattan without the help of the gods. As if I didn't know that. Why they pay her to be the wisdom goddess, I'm not sure. Anything else? Annabeth asked. She said you should try Plan 23. She said you would know what that meant. Abbott's face paled. Obviously, she knew what it meant, but she didn't, and she didn't like it. Go on. Last thing, Hermes looked at me. She said to tell Percy, Remember the rivers, and um, something about staying away from her daughter. I'm not sure whose face was redder, Abbott's or mine. Thank you, Hermes, Abbott said. And I, I wanted to say... I'm sorry about Luke. The god's expression hardened like he'd turned to mar- marble. You should have left that subject alone. Ambit stepped back nervously. Sorry? Sorry doesn't cut it! George and Martha curled around the caduceus, which shimmered and changed into something that looked suspiciously like a high-voltage cattle prod. You should have saved him when you had the chance. Hermes growled at Annabeth. You're the only one that who could have. I tried to step between them. What are you talking about, Annabeth? Don't defend her, Jackson. Hermes turned the cow prod toward me. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you should blame yourself. I should have kept my mouth shut, but all this, but all I could think of was about was turning his attention away from Annabeth. This whole time, he hadn't been angry with me. He'd been angry with her. Maybe if you hadn't abandoned Luke and his mom. Hermes raised his cow prod. He began to grow until he was ten feet tall. I thought, well, that's it. But as he prepared to strike, George and Martha leaned in close and whispered something in his ear. Hermes clenched his teeth. He lowered the cattle prod and turned back to his staff. Percy Jackson, he said, because you have taken on the curse of Achilles, I must spare you. You are in the hands of the fates now, but you will never speak to me like that again. You have no idea how much I have sacrificed How much? His voice broke and he shrank back to human size. My son, my greatest pride, my poor May. He sounded so devastated, I didn't know what to say. One minute he was ready to vaporize us, now he looked like he needed a hug. Look, Lord Hermes, I said. I'm sorry, but I need to know what happened to May. She said something about Luke's fate in her eyes. Hermes glared at me. And my voice faltered. The look on his face wasn't really anger. It was pain. Deep, incredible pain. I will leave you now. He said tightly. I have a war 
to fight. He began to shine. I turned away and made sure Annabeth did the same, because she was still frozen in shock. Good luck, Percy, Martha the snake whispered. Hermes glowed with the light of a supernova, then he was gone. Annabeth sat at the foot of her mother's throne and cried. I wanted to comfort her, but I wasn't sure how. Annabeth, I said, it's not your fault. I've never seen Hermes act that way. I guess, I don't know, he probably feels guilty about Luke. He's looking for somebody to blame. I don't know why he lashed out at you. You didn't do anything to deserve that. Annabeth wiped her eyes. She stared at the heart like it was her own funeral pyre. I shifted uneasily. Um, you didn't, right? She didn't answer. Her celestial bronze knife was strapped to her arm. The same knife I'd seen in Hestia's vision. All these years, I hadn't realized it was a gift from Luke. I'd asked her many times why she preferred to fight with a knife instead of a sword, and she never answered me. Now I knew. Percy, she said, what did you mean about Luke's mother? Did you meet her? I nodded reluctantly. Nico and I visited her. She was a little different, I described, Mae Castellan, in the weird moment when her eyes had started to glow and she's talked about her son's fate. Ambit frowned. That doesn't make sense, but why were you visiting? Her eyes widened. Hermes said you bear the curse of Achilles. Hestia said the same thing. Did you, did you bathe in the river Styx? Don't change the subject. Percy, did you or did not? Um... Maybe a little? I told her the story about Hades and Nico and how I defeated an army of the dead. I left out the vision of her pulling me out of the river. I still didn't quite understand that part. And just thinking about it made me embarrassed. She shook her head in disbelief. Do you have any idea how dangerous I was? I had no choice, I said. It's the only way I can stand up to Luke. You mean die immortalis, of course. That's why Luke didn't die. He went to the sticks and... Oh no, Luke, what were you thinking? So now you're worried about Luke again, I grumbled. She stared at me like I just dropped from space. What? Forget it, I muttered. I wondered what Hermes had meant about Annabeth not saving Luke when she had this chance. Clearly she wasn't telling me something, but at the moment I wasn't in the mood to ask. The last thing I want to hear, hear about was more of her history with Luke. The point is he didn't die in the sticks. I said, neither did I, and now I have to face him. We have to defend Olympus. Amber was still studying my face, like she was trying to see differences since my swim in the sticks. I guess you're right, my mom mentioned Plan 23. She rummaged in her pack and pulled out Daedalus's laptop. The blue Delta symbol glowed on the top when she booted it up. She opened a few files and started to read. Here it is, she said. Gods, we have a lot of work to do. One of Daedalus's inventions? A lot of inventions. Dangerous ones. My mom wants me to use this plan. She must think, think things are very bad. She looked at me. What, are, what about her message to you? Remember the rivers? What does that mean? I shook my head. As usual, I had no clue what the gods were telling me. Which river was I supposed to remember? The Styx? The Mississippi? Just then the Stoll brothers ran into the throne room. You need to see this, Connor said. Now. The blue lights in the sky had stopped. So at first I didn't understand what the problem was. The other campers had gathered in a small park at the edge of the mountain. 
They're clustered at the guardrail, looking down at Manhattan. The railing was lined with those tourist binoculars where you could deposit one golden drachma and see the city. Campers were using every single one. I looked down at the city. I could see almost everything from here. The East River and the Hudson River carving the shape of Manhattan. The grid of streets, the lights of skyscrapers, the dark stretch of Central Park in the north. Everything looked normal, but something was wrong. I felt in my bones before I realized what it was. I I don't I don't hear anything, Emmett said. That was the problem. Even from this height I should have heard the noise of the city. Millions of people bustling around, thousands of cars and machines, the hum of a huge metropolis. You don't think about it when you live in New York, but it's always there. Even in the dead of night, New York is never silent. But it was now. I felt like my best friend had suddenly dropped dead. What did they do? My voice sounded tight and angry. What did they do to my city? I pushed Michael Yu away from the binoculars and took a look. In the streets below, traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on the sidewalks or curled up in doorways. There was no signs of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was all it was as if all of the new people in New York had simply decided to stop where the, whatever they were doing and pass out. Are they dead? Selena asked in astonishment. Ice coated my stomach. A line from the prophecy hang in my ear, rang in my ears. And see the world in an endless sleep. I remember Grover's story about meeting the god Morpheus in Central Park. You're lucky I'm saving my energy for this main event. Not dead, I said. Morpheus has put the entire island of Manhattan to sleep. The invasion has started. And that is the end of chapter 9. Whoa, that was an interesting chapter. And Morpheus and possibly Typhon may be coming to Olympus now in New York and possibly may do more harm than what Morpheus has just done. This may be just the appetizer. So I really wonder if Percy and the campers will be able to stop this and possibly convince Hades and Eric, Clarice's uh, crew to come and help. Because with a god, with a with someone like Typhon, and even though, and the fact that the gods nearly won, barely won against Typhon the last time that he appeared is really concerning. And I think that Percy really does require every single help that he can get. So hopefully that Clarice and Hades do agree to help and we have more gods to help the fight against Typhon and Kronos. And we'll read chapter 10, I Buy Some New Friends, right after this break. But before we go into the break, I do want to apologize yet again for uploading late. I am very, very busy uh, this time of year and I am not able to upload uh, frequently on Saturdays, but hopefully I will still try and upload every week. So we will now go into a short break and right after we will read chapter 10, I Buy Some New Friends. And we are back from the ads, and now we'll read chapter 10, I Buy Some New Friends. Mrs. O'Leary was the only one happy about the sleeping city. We found her picking out at an overturned hot dog stand while the owner was curled up on the sidewalk, sucking his thumb. Argus was waiting for us with his hundred eyes wide open. He didn't say anything. He never does. I guess that's because he supposedly has an eyeball on his tongue. But his face made it clear he was freaking out. I told him what, he, what we learned in Olympus, and how the gods would not be writing to the rescue. Argus rolled his eyes in disgust. 
which looked pretty psychedelic since it made his whole body swirl. You'd better get back to camp, I told him. Guard it as best you can. He pointed at me and raised his eyebrow quizzically. I'm staying, I said. Argus nodded like this answer satisfied him. He looked at Annabeth and drew a circle in the air with his finger. Yes, Annabeth agreed. I think it's time. For what? I asked. Argus rummaged around in the back of his van. He brought out a bronze shield and passed it to Annabeth. It looked pretty much standard issue, the same kind of round shield we always used in Capture the Flag. But when Annabeth set it on the ground, the reflection on the polished metal changed from sky and buildings to the Statue of Liberty, which wasn't anywhere close to us. Whoa, I said. A video shield. One of Daedalus's ideas, Annabeth said. I hadn't Beckendorf make this before. She glanced at Selina. Um, anyway, the shield bends sunlight or moonlight from anywhere in the world to create a reflection. You can literally see any target under the sun or moon as long as natural light is touching it. Look! We crowded around as Annabeth concentrated. The image zoomed and spun at first, so I got motion sickness just watching it. We were in the Central Park Zoo, then zooming down East 60th, past Bloomingdale's, then turning on 3rd Avenue. Whoa! Connor, Connor Stoltz said. Back up, zoom in right there. What? Annabeth said nervously. You see invaders? No, right there. Dylan's candy bar. Connor grinned at his brother. Dude, it's open, and everyone's asleep. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Connor! Katie Gardner scolded. She sounded like her mother, Demeter. This is serious. You're not going to loot a candy store in the middle of a war. Sorry, Connor muttered, but he didn't sound very ashamed. Ambit passed her hand in front of the shield, and another scene popped up. FDR Drive, looking across the river at Lighthouse Park. This will let us see what's going across the city, she said. Thank you, Argus. Hopefully we'll see you back at camp someday. Argus grunted. He gave me a look that clearly meant, good luck, you'll need it, then climbed into his van. He and the two harpy drivers swerved away, weaving around clusters of idle cars that littered the road. I whistled for Mrs. O'Leary and she came bounding over. Hey girl, I said, do you remember Grover, the satyr we met in the park? Woof! I hope that meant, sure I do, and not, do you have more hot dogs? I need you to find him, I said. Make sure he's still awake. We're gonna need his help. You got that? Find Grover. Mrs. O'Leary gave me a sloppy wet kiss, which seemed kind of unnecessary. Then she raced off north. Pollux crouched next to a sleeping policeman. I don't get it. Why didn't we fall asleep too? Why just the mortals? This is a huge spell, Selina Beauregard said. The bigger the spell, the easier it is to resist. If you want to sleep millions of mortals, you gotta cast a very thin layer of magic. Sleeping demigods is much harder. I stared at her. When did you learn so much about magic? Selina blushed. I don't spend all my time on my wardrobe. Percy, Amber called. She was looking at the she was still looking at the shield. You'd better see this. The bronze image showed Long Island Sound near LaGuardia. A fleet of a dozen speedboats raced toward through the dark water toward Manhattan. Each boat was packed with through with demigods in full Greek armor. At the back of the lead boat, a purple banner emblazoned with a black scythe flapped in the night wind. I'd never seen that design before, but it wasn't hard to figure out. The battle flag of Kronos. Scan the perimeter of the island, I said. Quick. Ambit shifted the scene south to the harbor. A stained island ferry was plowing through the waves near Ellis Island. 
The deck was crowded with draconae and a whole pack of hellhounds. Swimming in front of the ship was a pod of marine mammals. At first, I thought they were dolphins. Then, I saw their dog-like faces and swords strapped to their waists, and I realized they were telekines. telekines. Sea demons. The scene shifted again. The Jersey Shore, right at the entrance to the Lincoln Tunnel. A hundred assorted monsters were watching, marching past the lanes of stopped traffic. Giants with clubs, rogue cyclops, a few fire-spitting dragons, and just to rub it in, a World War II-era Sherman tank pushing cars out of its way as it rumbled into the tunnel. What's happening with the mortal outside Manhattan, I asked. Is the whole state asleep? Ambit frowned. I don't think so, but it's strange. As far as I can tell from these pictures, Manhattan is totally asleep. Then there's like a 50-mile radius around the island where time is running really, really slow. The closer you get to Manhattan, the slower it is. She showed me another scene, a New Jersey highway. It was Saturday evening, so the traffic wasn't as bad as it might have been on a weekday. The drivers looked awake, but the crowds were moving at about one mile per hour. Birds flew overhead in slow motion. Kronos, I said, he's slowing time. Hecate might be helping, Katie Gardner said. Look at how the cars are all veering away from the Manhattan exits. Like they're getting a subconscious message to turn back. I don't know. Ambit sounded really frustrated. She hated not knowing. But somehow, they've surrounded Manhattan in layers of magic. The outside world might not even realize something is wrong. Any mortals coming toward Manhattan will slow down so much they won't know what's happening. Like flies in amber, Jake Mason murmured. Ameth nodded. We shouldn't expect any help coming in. I turned to my friends. They looked stunned and scared, and I couldn't blame them. The shield had shown us at least 300 enemies on the way. There were 40 of us, and we were alone. All right, I said. We're going to hold Manhattan. Selena tugged at her armor. Um, Percy? Manhattan is huge. We're going to hold it, I said. We have to. He's right, Annabeth said. The gods of the wind should keep Cronus's forces away from, from Olympus by air, so you'll try to ground us all. We have to cut off entrances to the island. They have boats, Michael, you pointed out. An electric tingle went down my back. Suddenly, I understood Athena's advice. Remember the rivers. I'll take care of the boats, I said. Michael frowned. How? Just leave it to me, I said. We need to guard the bridges and tunnels. Let's assume they'll try a midtown or downtown assault. At least on their first try. That would be the most direct way to the Empire State Building. Michael, take Apollo's cabin to the Williamsburg Bridge. Katie, Demeter's cabin takes the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Grow thorn bushes and poison ivy in the tunnel. Do whatever you have to do, but keep them out of there. Connor, take half of Hermes' cabin and cover the Manhattan Bridge. Travis, you take the other half and cover the Brooklyn Bridge. And no stopping for looting or pillaging. Ah! the whole Hermes' cabin complained. Selena, take the Aphrodite cat crew to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. Oh my gods, one of her sisters said. Fifth Avenue is so on our way. We could accessorize and monsters like totally hate the smell of Givenchy. No delays, I said. Well, the perfume thing, if you think it'll work. Six Aphrodite girls kissed me on the cheek in excitement. All right, enough. I closed my eyes, trying to think of what I'd forgotten. The Holland Tunnel. Jake, take the Festus cabin there. Use Greek fire, set traps, whatever you've got. He grinned. Gladly, we've got a score to settle. For Beckendorf. The whole cabin roared in approval. The 59th Street Bridge, I said. 
Clarice! I faltered. Clarice wasn't here. The whole Ares cabin, cursed them, was sitting back, back at camp. We'll take that. Abbott stepped in, saving me from an embarrassing silence. She turned to her siblings. Malcolm, take the Athena cabin. Activate plan 23 along the way, just like I showed you. Hold that position. You got it. I'll go with Percy, she said. Then we'll join you, or we'll go wherever we're needed. Somebody in the back of the group said, No detours, you two. There's some giggles, but I decided to let it pass. All right, I said. Keep in touch with cell phones. We don't have cell phones. Selena protested. I reached down, picked up some snoring ladies, Blackberry, and tossed it to Selena. You do now. You all know Annabeth's number, right? If you need us, pick up a random phone and call us. Use it once, drop it. Then borrow another one if you have to. That should make it harder for the monsters to zero in on you. Everyone grinned as though they liked this idea. Travis cleared his throat. Uh, if we find a really nice phone... No, you can't keep it. I said, Oh, man. Hold it, Percy, Jake Mason said. You forgot the Lincoln Tunnel. I bit back her curse. He was right. A Sherman tank and a hundred monsters were marching through that tunnel right now, and I've positioned our forces everywhere else. Then a girl's voice called from across the street. How about you leave that to us? I'd never been happier to hear anyone in my life. A band of 30 adolescent girls struck across 5th Avenue. They wore white shirts, silvery camouflage pants, and combat boots. They all had swords at their sides, quivers on their backs, and bows at the ready. A, pa a pack of white timber wolves milled around their feet, and many of the girls had hung hunting falcons on their arms. The girls in the lead had the girl in the lead had spiky black hair and a black leather jacket. She wore a silver circlet on her head like a princess's tiara, which didn't match her skull earrings or a Death's a Barbie t-shirt, showing a little Barbie doll with an arrow through its head. Talia! Ambit cried. The daughter of Zeus grinned. The hunters of Artemis reporting for duty. There were hugs and greetings all around. Or at least Talia was friendly. The other hunters didn't like being around other campers, especially boys, but they didn't shoot any of us, which for them was a pretty warm welcome. Where have you been the last year? I asked Talia. You got, like, twice as many hunters now. She laughed. <laughs> long, long story. I bet my adventures were more danger dangerous than yours, Jackson. Complete lie, I said. <laughs> we'll see, she promised. After this is over, you, Annabeth, and me, cheeseburger and fries at that hotel on West 57th. Lay Parker Meridian, I said. You're on. And Talia? Thanks. She shrugged. Those monsters won't know what hit them. Hunters, move out! She slapped her silver bracelet, and the shield, Aegis, spiraled into full form. The golden head of Medusa molded in the center was so horrible, the campers all backed away. The hunters took off down the avenue, followed by their wolves and falcons, and I had a feeling the Lincoln Tunnel would be safe for now. Thank the gods, Annabeth said, but if we don't blockade the rivers from those boats, guarding the bridge and tunnels will be pointless. You're right, I said. I looked at the campers, all of them grim and determined. I tried not to feel like this like this was the last time I'd ever seen them all together. You're the greatest heroes of this millennium, I told them. It doesn't matter how many monsters come at you. Fight bravely, and we will win. I raised Riptide and shouted, For Olympus! They shouted in response, and our 40 voices echoed off the buildings of Midtown. For a moment, it sounded brave, but it died quickly in the silence of 10 million sleeping New Yorkers. Annabeth and I would have had her pick of cars, but they all were wedged in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. None of the engines were running, which was weird. It seemed the drivers had, didn't, 
had had time to turn off the ignition before they got too sleepy. Or maybe Morpheus had the power to put engines to sleep as well. Most of the drivers had apparently tried to pull to the curb when they felt themselves passing out, but still the streets are too now a clog to navigate. Finally, we found an unco- unconscious courier, cor- courier landing, leaning against a brick wall, still straddling his red Vespa. We dragged him off the scooter and laid him on the sidewalk. Sorry, dude, I said. With any luck, I'd be able to bring a scooter back. If I didn't, it wouldn't hardly matter because the city would be destroyed. I drove with Annabeth behind me, holding onto my waist. We zigzagged through bo- down Broadway with our engine buzzing through the eerie calm. The only sounds were occasional cell phones ringing, like they were calling out to each other, as if New York had turned into a giant electronic aviary. Our progress was slow. Every so often, we'd come across pedestrians who'd fall right asleep right in front of their car, and we'd move them just to be safe. Once we stopped to extinguish a pretzel friend vendor's car that had caught on fire, a few minutes later, we had to rescue a baby carriage that was rolling down aimlessly down the street. Turned out there was no baby in it, just somebody's sleeping poodle. Go figure. We parked and uh, we parked it safely in a doorway and kept driving. We were passing Madison Square Park when Annabeth said, "Pull over." I stopped in the middle of East Twenty Third. Annabeth jumped off and ran toward the park. By the time I caught up with her, she was staring at a bronze statue on a mar- red marble pedestal. I probably passed it a million times, but never really looked at it. The dude was sitting in a chair with his legs crossed. He wore an old-fashioned suit. Abraham Lincoln style, with a bow tie and long coattails and stuff. A bunch of bronze books were piled under his chair. He held a writing quill in one hand and a big metal sheet of parchment in the other. Why do we care about... I squinted at the name on the pedestal. William H. Stewart? Seward, Ambit corrected. He was a New York governor, minor demigod, son of Hebe, I think. But that's not important. It's the statue I care about. She climbed on a park park bench and examined the base of the statue. Don't tell me he's an automaton, I said. said. Amit smiled. Turns out most of the statues in the city are automatons. Daedalus planted them here just in case he needed an army. To attack Olympus or defend it? Amit shrugged. Either one. That was plan 23. He could activate one statue and it would start activating its brethren all over the city. Until there was an army. It's dangerous though. You know how un- unpredictable automatons are. Uh-huh, I said. We'd had our share of bad experience with them. You seriously think about activating it? I have Daedalus's notes, she said. I think I can. Ah, here we go. She pressed the tip of Seward's boot, and the statue stood up. It's quill and paper ready. What's he gonna do? I t- muttered. Take a memo? Shh. Yeah, but... Hello, William. Bill, I suggested. Bill. Oh, oh, shut up, Ambit told me. The statue statue tilted his head, looking at us with blank metal eyes. Ambit cleared her throat. Hello, er, Governor Seward. Command sequence, Daedalus 23. Defend Manhattan. Begin activation. Seward jumped off his pedestal. He hit the ground so hard his shoes cracked the sidewalk. Then he went clanking off toward the east. He's He's probably going to wake up Confucius, Ambit guessed. What? I asked. Another state and statue on division. The point is, they'll keep waking each other up until they're all activated. And then, hopefully they'll defend Manhattan. Do they know that we're not the enemy? I think so? That's reassuring. I thought about all the bronze statues in the parks, plazas, and buildings of New York. There had to be hundreds, maybe thousands. Then a ball of green light exploded in the evening sky. 
Greek fire, somewhere over the East River. We have to hurry, I said, and we ran for the Vespa. We parked at South Battery Park and at the lower tip of Manhattan where the Hudson and East Rivers came together and emptied into the bay. Wait here, I told Annabeth. Percy, you shouldn't go alone. Well, unless you can breathe underwater. She sighed. You are so annoying sometimes. Like when I'm right? Trust me, I'll be fine. I've got the curse of Achilles now. I'm all invincible and stuff. Emma didn't look convinced. Just be careful. I don't want anything to happen to you. I mean, because we need you for the battle. I grinned. Back in a flash. I clambered down the shoreline and waded into the water. Just for you non-sea god types out there, don't go swimming in New York Harbor. It may not be as filthy as it was in my mom's day, but that water will still probably make you grow a third eye or have mutant children when you grow up. I dove into the murk and sank to the bottom. I tried to find the spot where the two rivers, rivers currents, currents seemed equal, where they, seemed, uh, where they met to form a bay. I figured that was the best place to get their attention. Hey! I shouted in my best underwater voice. The sound echoed in the darkness. I heard you guys are so polluted you embarrassed to show your faces, is that true? A cold current rippled through the bay, churning up plumes of garbage and silt. I heard the East River is more toxic. I continued, but the Hudson smells worse. Or is it the other way around? The water shimmered. Something powerful and angry was watching me now. I could sense its presence. Or maybe two presences. I was afraid I'd miscalculated with the insults. What if they just blasted me without showing themselves? But these were New York river gods. I figured their instinct would be to get in my face. Sure enough, two giant forms appeared in front of me. At first, they were just dark brown columns of silt, denser than the water around them. Then they grew legs, arms, and scowling faces. The creature on the left looked disturbingly like a telkine. His face was wolfish. His body was vaguely like a seal, sleek black with flipper hands and feet. His eyes glowed radiation green. The dude on the right was more humanoid. He was dressed in rags and seaweed with a chainmail coat made of bottle caps and old plastic six-pack holders. His face was blotchy with algae. And his beard was overgrown, with deep blue eyes burned with anger. The seal, who had to be the god of the East River, said, Are you trying to get yourself killed, self-killed, kid? Or are you just extra stupid? The bearded spirit of the Hudson scoffed. <laughs> You're the expert on stupid East. Watch it, Hudson, East growled. Stay on your side of the island and mind your business. Or what? You'll throw another garbage barge at me? They floated toward each other, ready to fight. Hold it, I yelled. We've got a bigger problem. The kid's right, he snarled. Let's both kill him, then we'll fight each other. Sounds good, Sal Hudson said. Before I could protest, a thousand scraps of garbage surged off the bottom and flew straight at me from both directions. Broken glass, rocks, cans, tires. I was expecting it, though. The water in, me front, in front of me thickened into a shield. The debris bounced off harmlessly. Only one piece of glass got through, a big chunk of glass that hit my chest that probably should have killed me but it shattered against my skin. The two river gods stared at me. Son of Poseidon? East asked. I nodded. Took a dip in the sticks? Hudson asked. Yep. They both made disgusted sounds. Well, that's perfect, he said. Now, how do we kill him? We could electrocute him, Hudson mused. If I could just find some jumper cables. Listen to me, I said. Cronus's army's invading Manhattan. Don't you think we know that? East asked. I can feel his boats right now. They're almost across. Yep, Hudson agreed. I've got some filthy monsters crossing my watered waters too. So stop them, I said. Drown them, sink their boats. Why should we? 
Hudson grumbled. So they invade Olympus. Why do, what do we care? Because I can pay you. I took out the sand dollar my father had given me for my birthday. The river's god's eyes widened. It's mine, he said. Give it here, kid, and I promise none of Kronos' scum are getting across the river. Forget that, Hudson said. That sand dollar's mine unless you want me to uh, let all those ships cross the Hudson. We'll compromise. I broke the sand dollar in half. A ripple of clean, fresh water spread out from the beak, as if all the polluted pollution in the bay were being dissolved. You each get he- eat half. I said, in exchange, you will keep all of Kronos' forces away from Manhattan. Oh, man, Hudson whimpered, reaching out for the sand dollar. It's been so long since I was clean. The power of Poseidon, East River murmured. He's a jerk, but he sure knows how to sweep pollution away. They looked at each other, then spoke as one. It's a deal. I gave them each of the each half of the sand dollar, which they held reverently. Um, the invaders? East flicked his hand. They just got sunk. Hudson snapped his fingers. Bunch of hellhounds just took a dive. Thank you, I said. Stay clean. As I rose toward the surface, East called out. Hey, kid, anytime you got a sand dollar to spend, come on back. Assuming you live. Curse of Achilles, Hudson snorted. They always think that will save them, don't they? If only he knew, East agreed. They both laughed, dissolving into the water. Back on the shore, Annabeth was talking on her cell phone, but she hung up pretty as soon as she saw me. She looked pretty shaken. It worked, I told her. The rivers are safe. Good, she said, because we've just got other problems. Michael, you just called. And another army is marching over the Williamsburg Bridge. The Apollo cabin needs help. And Percy, the monster's leading the monster leading the army. It's the Minotaur. And that is the end of chapter 11. Oh, I really do hope that they're able to beat the Minotaur again. And hopefully the Minotaur kind of gets scared when he sees Percy again. Because, you know, the Minotaur was killed by Percy already once. So hopefully the... Unless it's a different Minotaur. So hopefully Percy will be able to... Percy will will be able to get more help possibly. Or just kill... Just help with his celestial bronze fighting skills. And be able to kill the Minotaur as well as help the Apollo cabin. But until then, we will, uh, until then, until next week, we'll read chapters 11 and 12. And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.